Hello everyone and welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Will Johns. And I'm Rick Johns. And welcome to episode four of season three. We are discussing the six basic core human needs and we're on need number three today. And need number three is love and belonging. And it reminds me of a story. There was, there was a woman who was pregnant with identical twins and when she gave birth, she named them Juan and Amal. And after she took her maternity leave and went back to work, all her co-workers were excited to hear and to see some pictures of these precious little baby twin boys. And so she pulled open her phone and she was showing the pictures and every picture she had on her phone was of Juan. And her co-workers said, why do you only have pictures of Juan on your phone? And she says, because if you've seen Juan, you've seen them all. Oh, uh, <laughs> my <goodness>. Yes, dad <laughs> joke. Love it. <laughs> all right, you guys, you listeners, you know you hated that, but you're going to tell it to somebody. I guarantee you. You're going to pass that one on. That was a gem. <laughs> that was one of the best ones. You've seen one, you've seen them. They're identical twins. Good stuff. Oh, boy. Well, today uh, we are talking about love, belonging, connection. And I just invite you right here at the beginning as, as we're diving into this topic to think about a time in your life where you felt loved. And, and generally, if you can imagine that moment. It's usually a warm feeling. It's usually a great feeling. It's usually something. I mean, I, I don't think we have to say much today to convince you that this is a need that, that we all have as human beings. In fact, we, we have this need so much that sometimes we do some crazy things to try to meet this need, to show how devoted we are to someone that we love. So, so Rick, I'm curious, what's something crazy that you did for love? You're right, Will. It is a very human thing to have this need for love and connection and belonging, and I'm certainly no exception. In fact, just a few years ago, when I got to that point where I was wanting to propose to someone very special in my life, my wife, Ginge, all I could think of was, how can I make it the biggest, the best? How can I show that, that need for love, that desire for connection to, to put our lives together was so strong I felt like no dollar amount, uh, no ring would be big enough, no proposal would be magnificent enough to show my love. And so I really struggled trying to think, well, what can I do to make this proposal special? And finally, when I started to make my final decision, I said, well, I think the most romantic and amazing thing I could do is propose on the Eiffel Tower. And that's what I did. All right. <laughs> Bought yes. tickets, flew her to Paris, uh, surprised her. Of course, when she got to Paris, I think she was suspicious, but she had no idea she was going to Paris. And I proposed there in the Eiffel Tower, and it was magical and amazing. And I did it all for love. Yes, yes, yes. We, we, I, I can't top that story, Rick. That's a, that's a really good one. <laughs> well, I'm sure, Will, you've done a few things for love yourself. 
but I do have to, I do have a story from college that's kind of a little bit over the top where uh, me and my friend Brent Redding, who's listening. So Brent, I'm calling you out because I know you're, you're listening today. And my friend DJ, uh, the three of us decided when we were in college that we were going to do this creative date. And uh, so we asked out these three girls to be our dates. Each one of us asked out a girl for the date, and we began planning a spy date. And we went all out for this thing, um, <laughs> beginning with sending them a chart as to you know what their mission was and what their special abilities were. We we sent them a boombox with a secret cassette tape. <laughs> this is dating me. <laughs> that uh, they were to put in the boombox and hit play at an exact time and we sent them a watch that our watches were synchronized to <laughs> and they were to walk out onto the steps of the dorm of the girls dorm there pull out the boombox hit play and some spy music started playing and at that very moment we'd gotten some of our friends to kind of dress up in in all black and they were kind of like the bad guys that were attacking <laughs> and um, I was up in a tree, and I forget where the other guys were exactly, but we kind of staged and choreographed this whole fight scene. Oh I my. remember jumping out of the tree, kind of swinging <laughs> on a branch and kicking somebody, and they fell backwards. And then oh boy. I ran over to where the girls were, and we ran them to a van that was pulling up with the door open, and we shuffled <laughs> them into the van and closed the door as it was driving away. And did did some police start to follow you? Because that's extremely suspicious. <laughs> we didn't have police uh, oh, follow mercy. us, unfortunately. Then we took them to an interrogation room. Uh, <laughs> then they were all shuttled to a different location. Uh, I remember I met my date at Barnes & Noble and... Uh, I said to her something like, you know, the falcon flies at midnight, and then she had a corresponding phrase to say back to me, and then that's how we were able to to rendezvous, and, and it just got crazier from there. We had kind of a laser setup that we had to crawl under. <laughs> uh, we exploded a door open, not really, but but pretended. I mean, it was... It was intense. Whoa. And uh, so that was that was something crazy we did. You know, the irony is I probably bonded more with Brent and DJ than I did with my date because we spent way more time planning it than we did <laughs> actually executing it. And it was mm. kind of hard to get to know my date while, uh, while we we're doing all of these logistics. <laughs> Yeah, a little more like theater or production or a movie than maybe a date. Yeah, yeah, probably. But, you know, it's a great story and, and something I look back on that I enjoyed. And so that's how Lori married you. So, no, no, unfortunately, it wasn't <laughs> Lori on the date. So, uh, but, uh, you know, when we talk about connection and love, one of the things that makes it clear how deep this need is, is what it feels like when, we're, when it's missing. When we don't have connection and love in our lives, we feel depressed, we feel anxious, we just generally feel bad. Yeah. And, and that's not surprising because Genesis 2.18, God tells us that it's not good for yeah. humans to be alone. Yeah. And that's fascinating because right there at Genesis 1, 
you have the creation story. And after every day of creation, God says, it is good. It is good. It is good. And then you get to Genesis 2. And for the first time, you have God say, it's not good. And what does he say? It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Mm. Not good for humans to be alone. And God himself is a community. Yes. Which is yes. fascinating. Why isn't there just one God? In fact, this is one of the theological arguments of all time. But the reality in scripture is God is three. So he's a community. He has connection even in the Godhead. And so it's just innate for us as humans. Yeah, connection is built in to who we are. And so I think at this point, most of us would say, yep, I need love. I need connection in my life. But here's the challenge. There are many barriers in our modern world to connection. And I think the worst one and the toughest is busyness. I agree. Uh, we live in a rat race with all of our technology that's supposed to more connect us and supposed to help us keep in touch, it just really, it doesn't result in that very often. I think it more results in us just being exhausted. We're like in that hamster wheel. I think a lot of people feel that way today. And it just doesn't leave a lot of time for quality connection, quality time, quality experiences of love and value. And I think time is the absolute fundamental currency of any good relationship. You can't have a good connection, a good relationship. You can't experience love if there's no time to and, do and, so. And the quality of that time matters too, because right. if the time that you do have, you feel rushed, if you feel like it's hurried, it generally doesn't deepen the relationship. For sure. So, so there's, a, there's a quality of time there's there's a sense that that I have this time and I'm not in a hurry and busyness hits us in another area and that is when we're trying to form connections with others and deepen friendships we're at the mercy of other people and they might be the one that's busy yeah so so we have we create the time we believe in love and connection and then we reach out to someone and say hey would you like to get together and they're like Sorry, you know, I'm slammed this week. Yeah. I mean, my wife and I are texting with two of our friends, even as I'm doing this podcast, and we're struggling to find a date that we can get together with them. We both want to get together. We love hanging out together, but our schedules just make it really difficult. And, and this is where we have to be careful. And here's the third barrier is self-sabotage. Self-sabotage can come in when we get frustrated with other people turning us down. Mm -hmm. So we are committed to this principle. We reach out to others. They say, no, I'm too busy. And then we could sabotage it by getting a little weird with them, cutting them off, saying, fine, you know, if that's how it is, you know, I'm not going to reach out to you again. And I think what we need to discern is who are the people in our lives that are open to spending time with us and, and try to follow that track yeah. But also be understanding that just because someone says no because they're busy doesn't mean they don't enjoy it when it does work out for them. I think one of the dangers with self-sabotage, especially today, is you can look on social media and it looks like everybody's having a great time. Everybody's going out and eating together. They're eating great food and hanging out and looking gorgeous. And it's easy for us to kind of think, oh, 
I'm the only one that's not, you know, being invited. I'm not, I don't have the same friends to go out and do stuff. Or worse, I saw my other friends went out and nobody invited me. And these kind of, this is strong self-sabotage because we start thinking negatively, well, nobody wants to invite me. Nobody wants to do something with me. Yeah, and as soon as that thought enters our mind, it really becomes self-fulfilling. So we have to address that thought first and say, other people want connection and love. I have that to offer, and I need it for myself, and this can be a win-win. Yeah. That, that has to be our mindset as we enter in, but if we're not careful, fear can enter our mind, and we can feel like, oh no, what if I get rejected? What if, what if somebody, you know, what if I invite someone and they say no, or they don't get back with me? That's okay. Yeah. That's all part of the risk that you have to take. That's where you have to embrace your need for uncertainty, like we talked about last week. It's a risk. That's what makes it exciting. You don't know if someone's going to say yes or not. You don't know if the thing that you decided to do is going to be fun or not, but you just do it. Right. And see what happens. And to that point, it doesn't always have to be me inviting someone to go do something very intimate or very, you know, special, or we're going to go eat out or do coffee. It could be me saying, maybe I just need to go to church and mm. hang out with people, or I need to join a, a group that's doing an activity that I enjoy. And, and we got to get over that fear. To me, that's a step back. If you do find yourself with some social anxiety, and I think it's a real thing for some people that they really do feel nervous and kind of yes. uh, anxious about being with other people or trying to connect with other people, maybe start in more of a group setting. And all you have to do is show up and then just participate. You know, that's to me the, the easiest way to kind of address some of those fears. And then you can make you know, friendships with, with people in the group as you get to know them, as you participate, as the opportunities arise. And you have to be, you know, you have to take some initiative. You have to ask some questions, be friendly, answer questions if someone talks to you. But, there, but there's something about the group that takes the pressure off. Right. That's because what I'm getting at. sometimes you can, you can feel that connection and gain that connection just by being in the same room with people even if you're not the one starting the conversation or keeping the conversation going. Right. You could just kind of be in a space and be listening as other people talk. And, and that's okay. That's, that's, we need listeners. If everyone tries to talk at once in a group, it doesn't work. So, exactly. So if you're not the most extroverted, if you're a little nervous, uh, the group takes a lot of pressure off. And I think those are just helpful things to keep in mind with our self-sabotage and with these fears that come up, because sometimes these fears, they dominate our mind to the point where we just think, oh, th there's no way, or there's no options for me. I don't have any friends. I don't whatever. And the fear becomes the voice that we listen to, and we miss all the other opportunities that are actually around us. And, and that fear can drive us to try to meet this need in unhealthy and harmful ways. Mm -hmm. And I think it's super important that we at least take a few minutes here to address some of the pitfalls of meeting this, this need in unhealthy ways. And the first one that comes to my mind is the attempt to meet it through what I would call pseudo-connection. Yeah. So it feels like connection... But in reality, it really isn't. Yeah. So what's, what's an example of that? 
Well, I think you said it best, Will. It is a pseudo-reality. We use the phrase in technology today, virtual reality. Mm. And it's crazy how virtual our world is becoming. So now I can have a thousand friends on Facebook and barely know them. But they're, quote, my friends, according to Facebook. So it's a virtual world. And I'm not saying you can't use Facebook to connect with someone. You can. But Facebook is also a barrier, as are all social media platforms. There's something between you and that person. Yes. And I don't think you can beat good old-fashioned face-to-face interaction, good old-fashioned getting together and doing something. I'm not saying that's the only way. But I do think we still need that. And to think that all these social media platforms can fill that need, I think a lot of people are just finding themselves spending hours on social media, but feeling emptier than ever. Yeah. And I think, I think we just have to address that. You know, we're not trying to bash social media as a whole. It certainly can have its place. But if the place is taking the space that you would have for in-person time with people, then it may be a barrier to you having true connection. And if it's the only connection you have with people, then I would argue that it's a pseudo connection if it's your only connection. And it's often a one way. And I think that's what you're getting at, Will. It's a one way connection. Like you see people's posts, you see them, you may read their little comments but you're probably not really going back and forth. You're probably not sharing anything of yourself and they're probably not really sharing genuinely. Most of the posts I see are not too vulnerable or not too authentic. They're just, hey, look what I ate. Hey, look at my vacation. Well, and, and I think that's, that's probably the driving uh, underlying factor of pseudo connection is it's a way for us to try to sidestep vulnerability. Mm. And, and that comes back to the fear you were talking about, where in pseudo-connection, there's no vulnerability on my part. So let me give you an example of, you know, of one of the worst pseudo-connections that's out there, and that's pornography. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this sense of being accepted and, and a feeling of this person is into me, even though there's absolutely no connection in reality. Yeah. The entire thing only works by the mind engaging in fantasy. Yeah. And it's one-sided once again, as you, as you mentioned. And it, and it never leaves you feeling really fulfilled and happy and like very whole in your well-being. <laughs> like these pseudo ways, I think one of the ways you can identify that they're not effective is it just leaves you emptier. It's like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the right metaphor for, you know, if you're in a pseudo connection, it will leave you wanting more, leave you emptier than fuller. Now, now there's some, uh, some more less um, diabolical, if you want to use that word, <laughs> ways that we meet pseudo connection that can be appropriate in their own realm, but can be way overused if we're not careful. And so I just want to throw a few of those out. There's romance novels. Nothing wrong with reading a romance novel. But if you if that's all you do to get connection, again, it becomes a barrier. 
Same thing with TV and movies. Nothing wrong with watching a great show on TV or enjoying a good movie. But if, if those are your friends, if yeah. that's the world where you feel connected to people, yeah. that's pseudo. It's not real. Yeah. Um, those actors that are portraying those characters, they don't know you. <laughs> I'm sorry to pop your fantasy <laughs> bubble there, but uh, it doesn't work. And so we have to be, we have to, you know, be honest with ourselves as to what's going on yeah. uh, as we're engaging with this. Maybe the most dangerous is what I would call surface relationships. And these are relationships where we are faking it to be accepted. Yeah. And so we're pretending to be a certain way so the group will accept us or that the individual will accept us. And here's the devastating reality of, of, of when we do that. You will never be able to escape the thought that if this person or this group knew who I really was, they would reject me. Yeah, because you're putting everything into your image. You're putting everything into making them like you. And then it has little to do with who you actually are. And I think some of that surface relationships can happen just in everyday life. And again, because maybe we're afraid to be vulnerable, we're afraid to take the relationship deeper, or just because of the busyness. Um, I think of most of the, the deeper relationships or deeper conversations or more meaningful connections I have had, a lot of them have happened on some sort of trip or... Mm a vacation or going out for a night for four or five hours where you just sit around a table and you talk, you know, you need that time again. And sometimes we need those experiences where we can kind of get away. Maybe it's some sort of retreat with your church or a small group that meets regularly just to talk through things and facilitate some questions. And I think it's most meaningful to us when we can share a bit of ourselves and listen to others share a bit of their selves. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think those exchanges, setting aside that time, certainly breeds for that authentic connection instead of, you know, the unhealthy and harmful surface connection that may feel more comfortable to us. You know, so there certainly is, is going to be a risk involved to move in a healthier direction here. But, but before we move on, and we're about to get to, to the healthy ways that we can meet this, this need, I do want to identify just a couple of other harmful ways, just as to throw up some red flags for any of our listeners out there. So if, if you can recognize that maybe you might be headed in this direction to, to spare you some of the harm that can come. And, and one of those is to pay attention if there's any abusiveness in a relationship that you're currently in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we, we want to hold on to a relationship so bad, we're willing to put up with things we should not put up with. Yeah. And, and so if you see yourself even starting down that road, you know, maybe nobody's beating you or, or verbally chewing you out, but they're constantly inconveniencing you. They're constantly canceling on your appointments that you set. So you're showing up at a restaurant and they bail at the last minute. They're constantly asking you for favors, putting you out of money, resources, time, energy, anything like that where the relationship feels very uneven. Yeah. Not true give and take. 
that's where you know some boundaries may be in order. And those are the red flags yes. to show you, hey, maybe my need for love and connection is overriding what's best for my soul and best for my health. Yes. Because that that's where this need gets unhealthy. Like, oh, I I don't have that many friends or I don't have that many connections or, oh, I really want my marriage to work. So I'll just put up with this or I'll just accept this bad behavior or even from relatives, you know, our parents or something, you could be putting up with things that you really shouldn't put up with and that are actually harming the connection, but you're too afraid. You know, there's that fear again. Oh no, I, I can't stand up for myself. I can't make this a healthy relationship. This person will never go for it and I don't want to lose them. Yes. So that need is trumping your own health. And there's a wise way to put up boundaries, you know, that will not unnecessarily antagonize the other person. Yeah. So there's ways that we can set boundaries uh, that are most likely to succeed and, and keep the relationship healthy. Uh, and we need to learn that. But there are people who go through life refusing to accept healthy boundaries. Yeah. And so any attempt to set a boundary with those individuals will end the relationship. Right. And, and so if you know that's true, you need to do it. You know, don't, don't be in a relationship with someone that is that dysfunctional and that harmful. And another harmful way that you could deal even with that relationship is some people kind of justify, well, my marriage is terrible. Well, my spouse treats me terribly. And so then they use that as an excuse to go look for love somewhere else. Mm, mm. And here's an irony. If you think about it, one of the reasons they won't confront their spouse is because they're afraid. They're afraid they might lose that relationship. They're afraid of the fight. They're afraid of going to war or whatever fear is in the looming in their head, which may or may not be a reality, but they have this fear. So then they go to look for someone else to meet that need, which will, if they have an affair, ultimately end the relationship that they were so scared to end by yes. speaking the truth yes. or having that tough conversation. So there's a real irony there because the affair will create way more problems than if you just have the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that is truly one of the more harmful ways that we can attempt to meet this need. How much better to take your chances with an honest conversation with your spouse than to run off and and have that open, honest conversation with somebody on the side in an affair situation. And you know? why not get a counselor if you don't feel you can talk to your spouse, which there those... You go. Yeah. Yeah. Those moments happen. It happens to all of us. And I don't think it's anything shameful. Get a counselor who can help guide you through that tough conversation, who can be a neutral party to bring the peace to the relationship. And guess what? You might be shocked that this relationship that you thought was loveless and wasn't meeting any of your needs, suddenly there's life there. Suddenly, oh, this person wants love too. Oh, this person actually wants connection too. Because they do. And finally, the final pitfall that we could fall into is just simple isolation. We can say, you know, I don't need relationships. I'll be fine on my own. Yeah, it's better. It's better and, this way. And, I like being alone. And that's just pure denial of reality. So, you know, we won't spend much time on that. But, but just recognize 
that there are all of these potential pitfalls. But let's let's dive in now, Rick, to the healthy ways that we can meet this need. And as we've kind of been doing with the other two needs that we've talked about so far, I would put right up there at the top of the list having a relationship with God. Uh, I, I just feel like that sets the foundation for us to feel loved by mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. in order that we have love then to give to other people. Yeah, and that, that is the message of the Bible. That is the message of spirituality, that you are loved and you are valuable. That's really the core message. And what a beautiful message. Uh, it's not always the message Christians give off or church gives off, but it is the message of true, genuine spirituality that you are loved and you are connected. That's yes. the other powerful piece of true spirituality is we are all connected. If you look at God as our father, that means we're all brothers and sisters. Uh, if you look at us all being part of creation, therefore we're all part of one giant, uh, even even with evolution, there's still that kind of oneness that we all came from something. So there's some origin for all of us, and it's only kind of our fear and our ego and our other needs going wrong that makes us see people as separate and mm. us versus them. Mm, yes. That's always an unhealthy perspective. Well, I, I think in addition to developing that relationship with God, I think one of the best practices for meeting this need that anybody can do, whatever your situation in life is currently, go for those three to five close friends. Whether you're single or married, you need three to five close friends in your life that that know you as you are, that you can be yourself with, that, that are there for you. And it's it, it might take time. It might take you a year to get three to five friends in your life. It might take you two years. That's okay. If you start working on it today, you're going to notice a huge, huge difference in your life. And if you're my brother, you may have to pay. You may have to pay them (laughs) to be your friends. But what what good is money if it can't buy you something you need and something you want? You know, the other thing I was going to say up right close to that foundation of God and spirituality and friendship I think there's also a deep importance to learning to love yourself. Mm, We can be our worst enemy and we can just really be down on ourselves, judgmental of ourselves. Well, no wonder no one likes you. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're not pretty. You're not whatever. We can have a lot of negative self-talk and that's kind of on that self-sabotage piece. We can have a lot of negative self-talk that really destroys our ability to find connection and sabotages Mm. that. So part of this healthy way is how do I accept that love of God? How do I accept that love from whatever friends and family that love me? How do I actually accept it and learn to love myself so that I can receive this connection with others? And I will have something to give. I won't be just a giant ball of need that you have to constantly reaffirm me and tell me I'm valuable, I will actually know that and be able then to give love because I have love. And when, when we do that, it naturally will lead us to these other healthy ways to meet this need of authenticity, mm. where we can, we can have the, find the courage to be vulnerable with others because we've, we've accepted our humanity, 
We, we love ourselves with all our flaws and imperfections. Mm -hmm. It gives us the courage to just be ourselves around other people, to stop faking it. Yeah. And then we know when someone still loves me and they know who I really am, that's real love. Yeah. That's real. And it, and it gives us the ability to just be present to people. Yeah. To just be aware, you know, to set our phone down, to to put our phone on airplane mode and and just be in the presence of other people and be present to what they're feeling, to what they're going through. And really all of this requires that we slow down. Yeah. You know, we talked about our busyness being a barrier at the beginning. If we slow down, and I love this phrase, if we go the speed of loving relationships, hmm. slow our life down to the speed of loving relationships. Yeah, I love that phrase. That's I've never heard that one before. That's, that's beautiful. Of course, I do think if my wife's all decked out and we're going on a hot date, that speed will go a little quicker uh, for me personally. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's different gears for that. But, <laughs> but I do think the other healthy thing we can do is is intentionality. Yes. Be proactive. So many of us in our down moments, we just cast ourselves on the thorns and we say, oh, you know, look, I don't have anyone. I don't know what to do. There's nobody to call. There's nobody that'd want to go out with me. Or there's nothing to do this weekend or whatever. We just, in our down moments, we just feel like we're the victim. Mm. But that, of course, is exactly the negative kind of thinking that will become self-fulfilling and will also lead to a cycle in which all those fears come to reality. So we have to be intentional. We have to be proactive. We have to put aside the fear. We have to put aside those thoughts. And we have to say, you know what? I can do something. I can volunteer at this place. I can ask a friend to go for a walk. I can ask a friend to go play tennis. I can see if somebody wants to meet me for coffee. I can ask a question of my coworker and just see how their weekend was. And, you know, there's people all around us. I can talk to someone in a grocery store. That might actually be meaningful for a few minutes. There, you, you never know, but you have to be intentional. You can't expect that the world's just going to all turn and say, oh, look, Rick's feeling, you know, having a pity party today. Let's go encourage him. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, the intentionality, it makes the meeting of this need a reality. When yeah. we set aside time, and so I would just invite you, whoever's listening, I would invite you to do two things. Number one, start by deepening the friendships you already have. If you're married, set up a date night once a week, once every two weeks, you know, deepen that marriage connection and push yourself to be honest and vulnerable. And, and if you need to have a tough conversation, have it. If you already have some good friends, invite them over for a movie, uh, get together with the guys to watch football, get together mm -hmm. with the girls and go shopping, you know, do some kind of trip, an overnight trip, go camping together, uh, do a fun getaway weekend, go out in nature together, go for a hike together. Go yeah. exercise together, walking, running, or go to the gym. There's so many ways that you can intentionally deepen what you already have. Yep. So that's one. And then number two, try to make a couple new friends. Yeah. Reach out to somebody that seems open, that seems friendly. Put yourself in groups like we talked about earlier. 
Yeah. And then see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. You can be intentional. If you're a stay-at-home mom, find other stay-at-home moms. Do play dates. If instead of making coffee at home, if you got a coffee shop nearby, stop in every morning and get your coffee there and get to know some of the baristas, get to know some of the people that are stopping in at that same time every day. There's, there's little ways that you can be intentional that can just make you feel part of things. And I remember, Will, when I was going through the divorce and feeling very alone, I noticed that when I was trying to work on my doctorate at home, I just would get so distracted and my emotions were so overwhelming, I just couldn't focus. Mm. And I felt so alone, this need for connection was overpowering my ability to focus and to write and do the research I needed for my thesis. So I said, well, maybe it would help if I went to a Starbucks or maybe if it would help if I went to my local library and just mm. some place where I could be around people but do my work. And it was night and day the difference that made for me. Wow. Somehow just sitting there with other people around, I didn't even have to talk to them. Now I was typing, now I was researching, now I was getting things done. And it just felt good to, to have those people around. And it led to a few conversations that were kind of accidental or whatever. And those were meaningful to me because it was a rough time in my life. And it was just good to be around people. Such a simple way to address the need. Yeah. And, you know, what I'm thinking now is when we feel loved, we really feel like our lives matter. Yes. Like we have this sense of meaning and purpose in life. Like it matters that I'm alive, that I'm a part of this world. And that's the need that we're going to talk about next episode. Yeah, I can't wait, Will. That will be a good one too. But it's been a good conversation today. And I just want to leave our listeners with this thought. Because just as you need that love and belonging and you feel it in your heart and soul, so does every person on this planet. Mm. So number one, you're not alone. We all feel it. We all want it. And number two, instead of worrying about all the people that can meet your need, maybe switch that and think, who's some lonely people around me? Mm. Maybe I could do something for them because you know how good it feels when someone sees you, when someone takes an interest in you and shows you that you matter to them. Instead of worrying about how this need is not being met for you as much, look around and say, how can I meet this need for someone else this week? How can I meet this need for someone else tomorrow? I just want to challenge someone out there. Take this challenge. Tomorrow, I'm just going to open my eyes and see, can I help meet this need for someone? Can I be kind? Can I say a few words? Can I do something? Can I make a call for someone who's going through something? Can I pray with them? Can I ask them how they're doing? something very simple doesn't have to be dramatic or big or take a lot of time but you'll be surprised how much it fills your own need while you're meeting their need that's the perfect thought for us to conclude with today so thank you for that rick and remember our next episode next week is the importance the need to feel special to feel meaning and purpose in life uh, you're not going to want to miss that one when it drops next week. But you've been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Rick Johns and Dr. Will Johns. Thank you so much for joining us. 